Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Karate chop that kid to go to sleep. <clears throat> I gotta really practice my sleeper holds. It's the key. <laughs> I mean, it's in the it's in the name. Seems like you should use that. A little, a little warm milk with a little chaser of Benadryl. That suggested warm milk to me. It's so mad at the concept of warm milk. I don't know why. I mean, if it works for Mr. T, it could work for him, right? He pities the fool who does not drink his warm milk. So I don't know what happened. About half an hour before we were supposed to start, I was saying something to my dog, and I noticed my voice sounds like it's about to go. <clears throat> And I have no idea why. Well, Perhaps you have the bite. What's the bite? It was just an Evil Dead reference. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we'll see if it holds out for the entire show. You're fine. You'll probably just fly into a rage. And- probably. I mean, I think this is going to end up being a really short show. Think so? Let's see. <clears throat> Maybe. I don't know. You guys don't feel there's anything to discuss in these movies? I feel like there's a lot to discuss, but maybe less uh, disagreements, perhaps. I don't know. Speaking of disagreements, uh, Doug, do you want to tell us about Taxi Driver? Um, Yeah. Taxi Driver is basically a character study of Travis Pickle, who is a retired soldier trying to make his way in New York City. He can't sleep, so he gets a job driving cab at night. Still can't sleep despite driving, you know, hours and hours. And really just can't manage to fit in with society. Tries to date a woman. Does not work out for reasons. Um, <laughs> and uh, eventually decides he's going to take it upon himself to clean up the city a little bit. Originally, his plan seems to be that he's going to execute a candidate for the presidency. But he alters his plan and decides to try and free a 12-year-old prostitute from her pimp, and in the process uh, takes out just several people in a very bloody shootout um, and tries to kill himself at the end, but is unsuccessful. So, And then ends up being lauded as a hero for what he's done and returns back to his normal life. I mean, the, the plot isn't really the point of this movie, though. It's really, yeah. about, it's really about following this guy on his descent um, and through his frustration and dealing with everything that's going on. Um, this, for... this, this wasn't a first-time watch for anyone, was it? Or... That's why I was going to ask. This Certainly is... not for me. This is very literally the second time I've seen this movie. 
Uh, I actually didn't watch the movie because I just saw just watched it recently. So, okay. um, I don't know. Uh, are we are, are we positive on this or negative? I'm very positive. So, yeah, I I think it's an amazingly made film. Uh, extremely interesting. I love all the different layers. I love the small implications that exist in the film that are not explored, which I think is really revealing about the character and about the society that the um, movie is trying to talk about specifically his obvious PTSD that he's suffering from his time in Vietnam that they never even mention, but it's clearly an issue. And they, I love that they just don't address it because it's very, um, it's very indicative of how society chooses to just not mention those things and then pretend like the person just went nuts out of nowhere, even though quite obviously <laughs> He was suffering from these things as a result of his time in the military and yeah. never quite got over it. I love yeah. like how this guy is many in many ways he's John Rambo, right? Like he's um you know, he's just has never been able to readapt to the real world after coming back. And you know, you just get those little hints, like there's a shot of him laying in bed and you see like scars on his back that are never discussed or talked about. They're just there. And you know. The obvious thing that he keeps lying to people and saying he's working for the government when he knows he isn't and instead he's just driving cab which is nothing wrong with driving cab but it's um you know he's he's taken the worst routes he's obviously got a suicidal hint to him in the sense that he's taking the most dangerous jobs and refuses to carry a gun for protection and all that kind of stuff so i think like the character is really interesting in that level yeah Refuses to carry a gun until he buys all the guns. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's the, the film is about his descent, and that's around the time where you realize he's crossed a line. And I think the fact that he clearly intends to die in his actions, like I think the only reason he was going to go after that presidential candidate was to die. I don't think there was any real intention there um, to do any, like I don't think he had anything against that guy. Or didn't see any problem with that guy, and the, he was—it was just a suicide mission. And kind of last minute, he decides, "Well, if I'm going to go down, I might as well go down doing something decent," which is really interesting. Um, you don't feel he was doing it at all, just for Sybil uh, Shepherd that he would kill the the candidate that she um, she's working on because she sort of rejected him or whatever. Just the relationship didn't work out. Yeah. And he's just like, oh, well, fuck her. I'll, I'm going to kill this guy. That's that could be there. Yeah. It, it's I, 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 one of the things I love about the movie is that a lot of this stuff isn't necessarily explained and that you can have these discussions. I think it makes it more interesting. It allows a lot of people to uh, bring their own views to it. Because I almost never hear anyone bring up the PTSD element of this character. And it's so obviously there and in your face, right? Like, yeah, but, um, but it was also the 70s, and they didn't really know what that shit was called anyway. Yeah, but I mean, they've, <clears throat> they've had different words for it dating as far back, at least as World War One, right? Sure. Well, probably like, before that. So I, not so much not using the term, but of all the different analysis I see in this movie, I never hear anyone mention that, hey, this guy's clearly a Vietnam vet, that he clearly went through some shit, and it's still affecting him. Yeah, and he has no help right like even though that's obviously in the movie no one brings it up and i always i find that very interesting because 
people are so people want him to be this villain and they don't want him to be relatable or sympathetic in any way when they watch this movie. Mm. And I find that I find that fascinating on a number of levels. One reason being that, like, again, the connection to Vietnam is obviously there. You know, the lack of support, his inability to, to like, reach out to people for help anyway. You know, the only people he talks to are other cabbies who are not necessarily great people to talk to about your mental issues, you know, (laughs) nice enough people or whatever. But, like, when he tries to talk to that one guy and the advice is just nonsensical, and it's like, yeah, that's what's going to happen when you just randomly ask one of your buddies for advice on how to fix your life instead of trying to talk to somebody who knows. But, like, all that's there. I find it really interesting, too, that he's very relatable in the sense that maybe not in the 70s, but certainly later on, him driving around New York and just seeing all the dirt and the grime and the crime that's going on and just being really frustrated by it. That's obviously an attitude that took hold later on in mainstream society. Mm. And I find that interesting that like, I think he's kind of a like it, maybe in 1976, that wasn't how people looked at New York, but it very much by the mid eighties was. And then yeah. the idea then that he, decides to raid this place and try to free a 12 year old prostitute. Like you can argue about his methods, but is there anyone who thinks that 12 year olds should be prostitutes on the street of New York? Like, no, everybody obviously thinks he's the good guy for doing that, but because of the way the character is portrayed and because of the, just the sheer gore and violence in that final, that final shootout, people see him as a villain. And I find that very interesting because in a different movie, the guy that goes in and shoots up a brothel to get the 12 year old girl out of there would be a hero. Right. Yeah. But I would still say he's a villain. He's obviously completely lost and, you know, he's subject to his own mental illnesses, of course, but uh, I mean, unfortunately this is the type of character that fucking modern day incels think is like the best ever. (laughs) And I feel like, yeah, I'm I'm much, I'm much less worried about the people who think of him as a villain and much more worried about the people who watch this movie and jerk off. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's put this in context though. In the seventies and eighties in New York, there were a whole bunch of these people, these vigilante types who snapped and many of them were lauded as heroes. Many of them were let off for the extremely violent acts they did, you know, um, I forget the name of the one guy that shot people on a train and they're like, oh. everyone, I, I remember even people telling me as a child, well, you know, that guy had been robbed like three times before. And then when you look into the actual facts, you're like, yeah, he had been. And then he went and got a gun. Then he hung out on trains looking for people to shoot. He's a murderer. Right? The fact that he got robbed, it doesn't matter. Right. And that you can look at Travis Bickle in much the same way. He's yes, he's a victim of circumstance, but he clearly made a decision somewhere along the line that he was going to become violent. And the fact that he killed people who are bad as well doesn't make it okay. And I think we can agree to that. Yeah. But, it, you know, the reason this movie ends the way it does is because the writer and the director want to make a commenta- a commentary on society and want to, they want you thinking about the fact that if you read this story in the paper and you hadn't spent all the time with this character and you hadn't watched his descent and you hadn't seen him go into dirty porn theaters and stuff, if you hadn't seen all those things and you just read this story in the paper, you probably would call him a hero. 
and I want I think they're they're commenting on our society as much as they are on him as an individual. Oh, completely. And it's really interesting. I read some quotes from the writer um, who said that like the way the movie ends with him driving his cab normally and the way it's shot is meant to mimic the beginning of the movie. And there's even a moment where there's sort of like he looks up into the uh, the rearview mirror, like as if there's something happening behind him that he wants to worry about. And the idea built into that is, is that it's going to happen again. Yeah, it's like because he did this and because he was treated as a hero as a result, this is a cycle that's just going to continue. And none of the issues that he is dealing with have been addressed and he's not going to be punished for it. So it's just a matter of time until this this all happens again and again and again and again. And I find that very interesting. I agree. Uh, Damn it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the whole thing is interesting. his sort of weird relationship with the, uh, I guess it's not weird, but his relationship with the 12 year old prostitute, Jodie Foster. Yeah. I think is interesting. Sees what she's doing and he's just like, God damn it. Like, why the fuck are you doing this? <clears throat> but then finding out there's like a pimp behind it. So, yeah. Well, that, like when he meets her because she's trying to get in his cab to escape, right? And then he has that really kind of awkward where he goes to see her and doesn't, you know, at that point she's like no no like we just this is just what i do and she's not really interested in leaving it's super upsetting to see like her just be like no no i'm better off here than with my parents and it's like how how can that be and it's even worse because the next morning when they go out to breakfast and now she's not in like her hooker outfit she's just dressed like a 12 year old kid she even has like those funny sunglasses on and you're like i don't it's very upsetting like it's very upsetting I, like and that that's what i'm saying like i you can see how you could relate to this guy of him like i'll do whatever it takes to get her out of that situation because how weird would it be to like meet a prostitute and then the next day see her just being a little kid you know what i mean yeah that's given him it's given him a little bit too much credit though because it's just supposed to play into his obsessive behavior I mean, he's doing the same thing to the prostitute that he did to the girl he wanted to date. But with the difference being that I think his. Yeah, yeah, he's behaving the same way, but it's a much more noble act to try to get a 12 year old out of prostitution than it is to try to force a woman to. Right. You. Right. But that's just happenstance. Right. That's that's the whole thing. Oh, he, I, I agree. He, yeah, he does the right thing, but for completely dumb, selfish, mentally ill reasons. Yeah. yeah, I don't even think they're selfish. I think they're. I don't know that there's a goal there. Well, I think it's. I think it's him creating a hero narrative for himself. I mean, I mean it's the same. It's the same thing of his internal monologue in the, the, uh, while he's in his apartment, where he's basically kind of like mentally writing a manifesto. Yeah, interesting that he actually is writing a journal, like basically writing a manifesto, which is, um, yeah, which is, you know what these types of people do yeah. and it's yeah the, yeah the whole the, the difference between this guy and the unabomber is that people didn't like the people that he hurt yeah, yeah. and that's yeah that's where the yeah like definitely had he gone after you know someone someone else right because you see he's on the brink of it. like a political candidate yes <laughs> well in, in 1976, yes. Now, if you went up to the political candidate, about 50% of the people would be upset about it. But 
Um, Shit, it's, 30, 30% would start a club in your name. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is an interesting change in our society. But, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. See, I find this this movie's hard to talk for me to talk about because my opinion of it is it's it's a very well written, very well acted, very well made movie that deserves every reward it's ever been given. And I also just don't give a fuck about it. <laughs> I don't understand that. I it just be, just because a movie is a quote fingers good movie in which this is the case with this. I just don't find it. I don't find it all that entertaining. And I don't find it particularly thought provoking. I don't know. Like I said, I just don't. This is the second time I watched it. I watched it the first time and I went, okay, yeah, I get why people like this. Then I watched it this time and I went, yeah, that's the same movie. All right. Is it because yeah. the, the sort of hero character, as we talked about, is kind of not uh, not a great person? I don't know. I, I just. <laughs> it's, I. Character study movies are always hit or miss for me. And so like this movie, I just I don't give a shit about this character. I don't give a shit about his annoying mental illnesses. Like, I don't know. I just don't care. I didn't from the start of the movie to the end of the movie. I'm like, I don't care about this guy. And then he does something terrible. And you're like, yep, somebody I didn't care about did something awful. Oh, and he got away with it. Yep. Because because part of I think I again, I think intentionally in here in the movie is People don't care about people like this. That's one of the commentaries about society is that here's a guy that like every red flag is there. Every problem is evident and society goes, no one gives a shit. 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 And then it festers and it blows up. And again, you know, you're responsible for your own behavior, but there's so many opportunities for someone to have done something to help this guy, starting with, you know, obviously the military, not just randomly discharging guys and dumping them onto the streets when they've been traumatized. And and it's interesting, like you saying, I don't give a shit about this guy. You're like, yeah, that's, that's the problem right there. Right. Yep. It's, you know, <laughs> see, it's very meta all the way around. Yeah. So I, like, I, I personally like my, my feeling on it is basically the, the first half of what Noah said, but the opposite of the second half where I'm like, I'm fascinated every time I watch it. I love watching this character go through this. I I think it's I think it's very thought provoking. I think it's really interesting to see how he. I'm always fascinated by outcast characters who, and we watch them in films, and when they catch it right, when these people genuinely don't understand why they can't be part of society, that's interesting to me. So the scene where he takes the girl to like a porn cinema because he thinks. That's what you do with people because he, he hasn't interacted with another human being in so long that he doesn't understand that a, an average person would find that weird. That's very fascinating to me. And yeah. I, like, I think the world's full of these people. And, you know, there is a tendency, I think, to, though, even like in today's society, we want to brush people like this off. Right. Oh, they're they're a weird incel or whatever. So the hell with them. And it's like, OK, but that's not going to help the situation. You know what I mean? Like that, brushing them aside and just letting them fester doesn't help. And we, we see the results of that somewhat regularly. Yeah. And it, well, I and think I think that's another problem with this film. This film's too realistic. Well, yeah, fair. Like this is kind of what would happen. So yeah. once again, I don't give a shit about that because that's like the kind of shit that happens all the time. Does that make sense? It's yeah. like this isn't yeah. special. This is this is like what the world is like. Why why should I 
be excited. I watch movies for escapism, and this is an escapism. This is ism. Uh, let's see. That's fair. I agree. This isn't escapism. I think this character is too real to to escape into, and so you do find yourself kind of like I don't I, like again. I, I find it interesting and thought provoking. I, I think it's um, I, I'm fascinated by it. It's but I agree. Like it, there's no there's no escapist element to this film because other than the big shootout at the end, which is maybe a little bit over the top compared to how one of those things would go down in real life. But I'm not even 100 percent sure that's accurate. It's it's very real and very like when this movie is difficult to watch, it's difficult to watch because you sit there thinking like, yeah, this could happen. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have much more to say. Yeah. We've kind of covered it all. It's just yeah. Uh, like just, you said, it's a it's a weird movie. This is a movie that I recommended just about anyone. It's like this is a good yeah. movie. I bet I bet 99 percent of people would watch this movie and go, yeah, it's a good fucking movie. See, I don't know, though, because I think I think this movie would be very traumatizing to people. To a lot of people because of how real it is, because it's not, you know, it's not over the top. I think a lot of people would have difficulty watching this movie. And a lot of people like yourself would say, I'm not going to watch a movie that might upset me. Right. Like They don't they don't appreciate. No, no, see, but but I'm not upset by this movie either. I just don't. Like I said, it's just this is just it's too. I don't I don't know. Mundane's the wrong word, but it's like, I don't know. That's that's it. It's just this is this is just normal everyday crap. Like it's not traumatizing. It's not upsetting. It's not moving. I don't feel sad. Does that make sense? It doesn't it does not. This movie, this film does not resonate with me in any way, I think is a good way to say it. I find that very strange, but I do have to take a short break here, guys, unfortunately. God damn. So Discuss how good the technical aspects of it are, and we'll come back and argue about <laughs> impact of the film. What are the technical aspects? I, I mean, like the cinematography and stuff are great. Yeah, I mean it's well it's well shot. Like it, calling it pretty is wrong because that's not what they're going for. No, it is very like you said realistic, so that makes it kind of grungy and gross. Just because seventies New York, You're right? But it's it's aesthetically interesting. Yeah. And Robert De Niro's performance is like top notch. Yeah, he's great. Um, I mean, just his sort of descent throughout the movie, because he starts off a little nuts already. But by the end of it, where he's shaving himself a fucking mohawk and just plowing his way through a brothel. So, you know, shoot as many people as he can. Yeah, he's, he's not inch. very he's not very good at it. either. <laughs> No, he doesn't, he doesn't seem to understand that if you shoot somebody in the stomach, they don't die. Right. He's like, well, why are you not dead yet? I don't understand. I don't know. I guess we could pause and wait for Doug to come this, back. And this, and this movie killed John Lennon. God damn it. No. <laughs> Is this the one he was, he was obsessed with Jodie Foster from this movie? <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. He's obsessed with Jodie Foster. I knew he was obsessed with her. I didn't know if it was from this movie or not. Yeah, I think I think the story is he saw a Taxi Driver and got obsessed with her. God damn it. Fucking people and their weird obsessions. Which which is weirdly apropos of this movie. It is. Fortunately, but, once, like, but once again, like I said, the people that I'm afraid of are the type of people who watch this movie and really, really enjoy watching this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's... People, again, I was going to say it's like the same people who 
were shocked to find that Homelander's a bad guy in the boys after like three seasons. Right. They're like, what? He's a bad guy. Um, are the same people that's like, no, this guy's great. Yeah. 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 They're the people. Yeah. If you, if you watch the movie and you think this guy is a complete villain, you're wrong. And if you watch this movie and you think this guy's a hero, you're wrong. No. He's just a guy. He's just a mentally ill guy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do you have anything else? Yeah. No, not really. Like, like I said, I'm sure it's a good movie. If you're a film person, you're going to like how well made of a film it is. Yeah, I saw it for the first time a couple of years ago and really enjoyed it. Immediately went and bought the Blu-ray off of uh, Amazon. I think I think maybe part of what spoiled this movie for me is I knew a couple people in high school who were super fucking into this movie. Yeah. It would like quote it all the time and stuff. And I can tell you right now, those people grew up to be pieces of shit. So apropos then. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Like, like, like I said, the type of people who in, enjoy this movie on that level are the type of people who hit their wives. Yeah, you can see that. Not, not as a, not as a rule, but as a generality. <laughs> it's kind of, it's like people who like Zack Snyder movies. They're not all pieces of shit that go online and just fucking troll people. But there's a whole lot of them that do. Is it bad that I still hold out hope for Zack Snyder movies? Here's the thing. I just think Zack Snyder should stop fucking directing movies and go back to being a cinematographer because the dude knows how to, like, shoot stuff. He just he just can't make a fucking good movie to save his life. Yeah, because um, I'm looking forward to his sci fi movie that's coming up. Which one's that? Uh, uh, God damn it. You would ask that, wouldn't you? Did one for Netflix. He uh, um, had pitched a uh, Star Wars movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they wouldn't let him make it, so he just made another movie. Well, it's not so much like they were in the process of working on it. And uh, um, Rebel Moon, that's what it is. Uh he was in the process of working on it and then Lucasfilm got bought by Disney. So basically everything that was being worked on kind of got scrapped. <clears throat> so he's just like, Oh, well, I'm just going to take this and turn it into something else then. So basically he's just, he's made, made that for Netflix it's supposed to come out later this year. And it's, it's another take on the seven samurai story. <clears throat> you know, you know that old tale from the sea. What's another take on the seven samurai? Rebel Moon. Okay. The upcoming Zack Snyder movie. We were comparing uh, Zack Snyder bros to the crazy people that fall in love with this movie and end up being pieces of shit. Fair enough. At least the people who fall in love with this movie um, know how to pick good cinema. Yeah. I'm just reading you that, it, that is the major difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it, I think the it, ability it to recognize a well-constructed script. But I would take it a step further and say, uh, forget about the individuals that have that problem. What about the Hollywood system that had that problem? And after this movie comes out, there's just this barrage of vigilante films throughout the late seventies and early eighties, <laughs> none of which had any depth to them. And most of which portrayed the vigilante as the hero. You're saying most of which I fucking love. Are you saying Death oh. Wish has no, has no depth to him? I 
depth with has no i will say it death wish has no depth (laughs) how dare dare you look at look at just the range of emotions that charles bronson can put on his face like his happy scowl and his mad scowl and his angry scowl i didn't know death wish was before this though right i don't know i didn't think think so but i thought the original death wish was 74 off the top of my head but i'm not sure um but yeah, I mean, uh, 74. Yeah. So right. this, this film to some extent is a reaction to that inherently, All whether right. not, in a, I don't know whether they were specifically referencing that film, but that trend had already started. And like, the, again, that commentary at the end is, I think aimed at Hollywood as much as that society in general of like, maybe people who do these things aren't heroes. Maybe they're sick and twisted. By people on online that would disagree. Well, I mean, there definitely is like a contingent of our society that is very pro vigilante. And it is, it's always interesting to me because I'm always like, yeah, okay. But because you get to pick which crimes people are vigilantes against, right? Until somebody decides they don't like one of the things you're doing and decides to come take you out or somebody you care about. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. Like if we just let every person have their own, make their own decision of who deserves to be shot and who doesn't that's going to cause a lot of mayhem that's we sort of need order in our society yeah that's why we all just agree not to kill each other until until somebody does yeah like we um we should agree to that but we don't apparently all right anything else before we move on did you guys follow my advice and discuss how technically well made the film is you said it looked pretty from the shots to the, the shots of him driving around New York City and just putting the the dirt and grime of old New York on display right up into the even the close-ups of him when he's in his apartment alone and the aesthetic of that just run-down apartment and the fact that you know it's made pretty clear in the movie that he could be living better if he wanted to and he just chooses to live like that kind of combining the filmmaking technique with the character development which I think is interesting is that what you guys meant when you said it looks plus, pretty. Plus, plus Robert De Niro's ripped like Jesus. Yeah. Young Robert De Niro, like, I, it's weird because, like, I, I grew up with Robert De Niro as an older actor. And I go back and I watch these movies. And I'm like, shit, he's not only is he an amazing actor, but, like, he's, like, in really good shape and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, it's weird to think of him that way when you grew up with him as kind of grandpa Robert De Niro. <laughs> Wait, he's not a fucker. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, but yeah, I mean, does anybody have any criticisms of his performance or of the filmmaking that they'd like to discuss? No, see, see, that's the weird thing. I don't think I have a bad thing to say about it. Like, I don't know any of obvious glaring flaws in the film. I, I honestly, and I don't mean this as like a, an attack the way I would normally mean it, but I honestly think it's kind of a flaw in you that when you say this film doesn't make you sad or doesn't make you, th- it's not thought provoking. I'm like, Oh, you should you should be careful. <laughs> if you if you watch this and you're not a little bit sad at the end, maybe you should uh, yeah, just what it, careful. But what are you supposed to be sad about? About the fact that people like this exist in our society. The fact that they uh, yeah, we should we should fix that. Yeah, we should. I think it's how about how about like watching it today and being sad about the fact that 
some of the stuff like clearly people knew about in 1976 and we haven't done shit about it since and it's just become a bigger problem because now these people can organize on the internet i mean or in, or instead of just watch watching movie you could just do something about it no no i can't other people should i mean i could have donated i could have donated the five dollars i spent to run it to mental health yeah but i think that that's a misleading thing i think a lot of this stuff has to be dealt with on a societal level that's true. No, I, I I agree with you. I'm I'm just saying, like I don't I don't particularly feel like uh, inspired to action, like by this. No, I I agree. It's, I agree with that. Like I don't think it because the movie doesn't offer any solutions whatsoever, right? Like it's you know, like what what in this movie is uplifting? Nothing, right? Like there's no element of this that goes, yeah, no, that's the way we should handle that. And here's here's the suggested answer. It's just Oh my God, look how bad this fucking problem is. I do think it's interesting watching people discuss the movie online now because there's so many like commentators who are just like, oh, this is just toxic masculinity and they ignore all of the like obvious mental health problems, all the societal commentary that's built into this. And they just want him to be some, you know, quote unquote incel. And I'm like, that's, there's elements of that that are true, obviously. Um, I mean, I mean, once again, he is kind of up like not. It, it is not the fault of the filmmaker, but the character is the poster child of white male rage. I mean, to a certain extent, yes. Again, with combined with all the other elements, the mental health, the society that offers no assistance, the society that glorifies the results, you know. I mean, it's not again, it's it's really hard to discuss it because you don't want to say that anything he did is justified. You do want to say that what he did was preventable by society and society chooses not to do that. And it's it's kind of fucked up. Yep. Agreed. Uh, Noah, do you want to tell us about the King of Comedy? Sure. Stop me if you guys have heard this one. But uh, okay. Robert De Niro. <laughs> In a character piece that is <laughs> slow descent into crime, only in this case, he's trying to become a comedian and he's obsessed with a particular comedy icon. And it results in a kidnapping rather than a brutal set of murders. Yeah, it's uh, a slight oversimplification, but yes. <laughs> uh, first time watch for me. Yeah, Honestly, I don't even think realize what this movie was about. For some reason, I just thought it was like, oh, Robert De Niro and uh, Jerry Lewis are like rival comics or something. I don't know. That's for years. I avoided it because of that. That's basically what I thought it was. Like, I thought the other aging comics or whatever. And yeah. Why would, I, why would I really care about that? Like, you know, and then turns out it's not that at all. So <laughs> changes everything. But based, but based on what? <sighs> Uh, I don't either. <laughs> but we both felt it, so now neither of us yeah. is crazy because uh, we both felt that before we met each other. So yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I I accept that that's the impression you guys got, but I'm like, it's not at all what the trailer portrays for this movie. I don't think uh, I've ever seen a trailer for this movie. Even I don't to think this I day. have either. <laughs> I think I just saw pictures of both of them on stage. And I think that made me think that they were rival comedians because of the name King of Comedy. Yeah. So I was completely wrong. Well, the box art, too, for the like the VHS that we would have seen as kids was comical looking and never didn't look at all like a uh, 
Yeah. It like didn't look at all like a thriller film. And, no. Yeah. Well, see, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't call this a thriller. Mm. I probably would. But. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like I said, I, I don't know. I, it, it's Taxi Driver without the violence. This <laughs> is pretty much like it's, that's a fairly accurate assessment of this film. And with some weird tonal stuff in it, I'm I'm not sure because there are moments in the film where I'm trying to decide if it's supposed to be funny or not. And maybe that was on purpose. I think it is. Yeah, because you're like, yeah, but you guys are joking about this in a weird way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it really they do, I think, a great job of walking this line of like making things seem funny. And then you stop and realize what you're laughing at and go, oh, I don't I probably shouldn't like it. You know, what I mean? <laughs> especially yeah. with the Sandra Bernhardt character, um, who's like a stalker of the same comedian that the Robert De Niro character is stalking. Yeah. And then they team up, which is weird, but. Like, hey, you like to stalk them. I like to stalk them. Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, that's that's kind of commentary on fandom and stuff. The fact that they're both so obsessed over this person and go to all the things where that person is at. So they just know each other because they're always at all the places where that famous person is. Yeah. And it's I find that fascinating sometimes because it's like, okay, would these two, either of these two have gone to these extremes if they weren't playing off each other, I think is part of the commentary in the film. And it's, it's not an answerable question, but the idea that they just, they met up because of this mutual obsession and then they keep pushing each other further and further and further. And they're kind of rivals, but they're kind of friends. So they end up, end up in this weird teamed up scenario with, Extremely different goals. It's worth pointing out, even though they're both working together. Yeah, this one's this one's interesting because I bet I fall on the opposite end of the spectrum as most people. So, like I said, I I don't particularly enjoy Taxi Driver, but I actually really like this movie. Well, I really enjoyed it as well for a first time watch. Yeah, yeah it's it's only a second time watch for me, but I I think it's great. Yeah, and I think the difference is once again the Bickle the Bickle character from Taxi Driver. He's he's hard to feel sorry for when he it, it's kind of one of those things where <laughs> you woke up and chose violence. Does, does that make sense? And in this film, the the pumpkin character, he's just he's just fucking delusional. And all he wants is attention, basically, is all it is yeah. like in in the fact that no one's giving it to him. Yeah, you know? he, He's more sympathetic in the sense that he's more pathetic. Right. Yeah, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, you feel you feel bad for him right right up until he he hatches the the kidnapping plot. And then you're like, yeah, okay, you went way too far. Because even there's that that scene where he goes to Jerry Lewis's uh, like weekend house where it is the Hamptons or whatever it's supposed to be. Um, when he's there and like he brings that girl that he's trying to impress and they're there and they're not supposed to be and that poor like staff is just like what the fuck do we do about this like I don't know if these people are supposed to be here or not like it's so weird Um, but when she starts finally feeling like she should be comfortable there and then all of a sudden he realizes like oh no maybe we shouldn't be comfortable here and he's like trying to convince her not to get so interested in hanging out there it's such a strange 
course of events. Like he knows what he's doing is wrong, but he's too dumb to know how to stop it. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think uh, he's the movie's kind of an interesting story because it starts with him getting destroyed by success because his whole plot to get into the vehicle with Jerry to talk to him works. Yeah, which is just feeds. So he's such a delusional character. And all that does is give his delusional mind ammo against reality to to reinforce his delusions. Yeah, it's it's the whole thing of like, well, he's delusional. And then people will will just play into that a little bit because it'll make him go away. But then that just encourages the delusion and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse that way. Yeah. And then I, I actually really the, the ending of the movie where he goes into the bar and plays his five minutes on TV or whatever. Yeah. And I and I think the movie has set you up the entire time for the expectation of it to be bad of him to go up there and bomb. But he doesn't. You know what I mean? That's the whole thing. He is pretty funny and his set is well written. Like it has it's not perfect. Like he's not George Carlin. He's not burning the place down. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't know. There's something there's something extra tragic about that moment in the film where you're like, oh, yeah, maybe maybe people should have just like. In, in which, once again, he's wrong because they keep telling him, go go to the nightclubs, go do this like. Yeah. And we'll come see you if you go do that. And he just won't. He's trying to skip to the front of the line in a way, if that makes sense. You know, that's exactly right. Like if he had. If he had if he had followed the advice that was given to him by I don't know the character's name, but the woman that works for Jerry Lewis that kind of keeps having to deal with him at the office and look like she says, you've got potential. You need to go get comfortable in front of a crowd, you know, work things out and you can. One day you could make it and he sits there and says, well, I'm a little old to start from the bottom, so you just have to put me on your show like it's I want to start at the at, at the top, basically, you know, and I think the comparison, I think comedians used to always struggle to get on Johnny Carson because if they could get on Johnny Carson and have a decent set, it would always be considered immediately successful. And that's what he's trying to do is jump straight to that. Um, I do find the, uh, the thing interesting that it, I don't even know if he technically wants what Jerry has, <clears throat> but he seems like he's obsessed with him and everything else. And I don't know. Like he has these daydreams about Jerry asking him to guest host the show and whatever. <clears throat> but then when we see uh, Jerry at home, we see that his life is kind of miserable. Yeah. He comes well, home and just eats by himself and is sort of sad and whatever. But, you know, Rupert doesn't see that, so he doesn't know that. But I just think it's interesting that he wants that so bad. And Jerry's even tells him at some point, it's like... Dude, all the stress that comes with it is not even worth it. Well, yeah, and I think that, like, as a society, we have this tendency to, like, we dream of being rock stars and movie stars, right? Yeah. But what you dream of is the five minutes on stage and then the after party. And you forget that it comes with decades of hard work and all that. And I think the movie's trying to point that out, right? Like, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's, years and years of hard work it's having to keep up that work it's having to fend off people who are trying to knock you off your pedestal it's all that that comes along with it and again it's 
it's still an enviable position because if it wasn't, these people could quit at any given time and just go away with their millions and millions of dollars and they obviously choose not to. But it, the idea that it's just this perfect life, the, the idea that anyone has a perfect life and that we should all just be aspiring to be anyone is ridiculous. And that's, I think the film is really trying to, to drive that home. Yeah, it's got some, I don't know, like I said, this film's got a lot of great, it's got really good storytelling in it too, where there's, there's a couple like moments that unveil, that like reveal stuff about characters that you didn't see. Like you guys were talking about, you know, Jerry's big, empty, sad house. Mm. And whenever uh, Pupkin does his stand up routine and he basically Earlier in the movie, he said, you know, I try to take all the things that happened to me that were bad and make them funny. And then if you pay attention to the story that he tells, you're like, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. (laughs) It's really dark. Yeah, it's real dark. He had a real bad life. Like, (laughs) that's why I was waiting for us to find out afterwards that uh, they added all the laughter in in post or something. Because they didn't want him to get pissed off and kill Jerry because it didn't go well or something. But then that never comes. So I'm just like, oh, okay. I guess people were laughing. Yeah, no, I think I think it's <laughs> legit supposed to be, like I said, because the, the jokes aren't terribly constructed. Like, he's funny. He's not super funny. He's not, like, at that level that he's supposed to be at. He's just funny. Yeah. Now, yeah, the, the ending know. is a little weird. I don't, I don't quite know exactly what it's supposed to be saying if he's just completely broken and now he's probably in a mental institution or something well that's what i was gonna ask how we're how we're taking the ending we're taking a face value or is this another one of his daydreams that we've seen him have throughout the movie that oh i went to jail but everything's gonna be all right when i get out and everybody's gonna want want me to to be part of their you know whatever and then, uh, or is this a comment on people's obsession with uh, sort of um, not even crime, not even true crime stuff, but I mean, sort of that, I guess. But before that was even sort of a thing, just people's obsession with stuff that goes wrong. And maybe it's even sort of commenting on um, the stuff we were talking about, Noah, while Doug was gone, about how that one dude became obsessed with them with a taxi driver and killed John Lennon because of it. So I don't know if this is like a commentary on that, like how he went to jail and everybody's like obsessed with him because everybody wants to know sort of about this stupid crime that he committed. Yeah. I don't know. I've always assumed it's a combination of both. I think the reels where it's talking about how people, kind of got into him after he was arrested is probably real. But then I think it's supposed to be he's just delusional again. And he thinks that everything's going to work out and that this is going to be his life or whatever. Yeah, I think it works both ways, which is like a really interesting, like I find the ending of the film very ambiguous. And I I like that Um, because I think if you look at it as a commentary on society, then I think you have to take it as he does get out and get to be famous. And I think, you know, there there was a weird trend of like terrible, terrible people writing books for a long time. And I think they, they in some places they passed laws to prevent it specifically or like you can't 
turn around and write a book about the crimes you committed and then uh, and then, you know, make money off of that. But I think, yeah, uh, yeah, there's a couple of laws in America where you can't profit off of a crime that you've been convicted of. And I think that's because these people were either giving interviews directly from jail to people who were like and getting paid for them or writing their own books when they got out and using that as a way to to get away to to basically live to remain famous as a result of committing their crimes. And I think there's that commentary is there. The other option is because so much of the movie is his weird daydreams that they play out as if they're real in the film. I love the way it's done. I love the filmmaking technique of having like he's interacting in a scene and then it cuts to him and he's just alone in his basement acting it out. Um, But I I think you could easily interpret the ending as being another one of those. Mm. And I don't think the answer is there. And I think part of the fun of it is that the answer isn't there. Yeah. So we, we didn't really discuss that, but with Taxi Driver, a lot of people like to pretend that the ending is um, is a dream sequence as well, right? Do they? Yeah, a lot of people pretend that he died in the shootout and that that last stuff is like his, it's like a fever dream of him, at him dying. And I mean, the, like the writer, the director, and Robert De Niro are all on record saying that that's not the case. So it's, it's the debate is sort of silly, um, mm-hmm. but I, th- I think it's society not wanting to accept the criticism of themselves. I think it's society wanting to say, like, look, if we if we can, this is an easy way to make him into a villain and the rest of the world did nothing wrong, as opposed to where the, the ending of the film is pointing out that, no, society played its role in this as well. Yeah, there's lots of cool stuff. There's there's lots of nods to the like pathetic nature of especially American celebrity and uh, because there's the moment so he goes into the bar he plays this thing and then as the cops are dragging him out of the bar that drunk dude at the bar goes hey that's the dude from the TV (laughs) that's a real fun moment yeah well and it's well and that's such a real thing that that's all it took guy saw man on box guy sees man in person guy must be important right (laughs) yeah but like I think that particular moment works on two levels, though, because on the one hand, you're like you're kind of making fun of the guy at the bar who's just like guy on TV guy over there. Right. Like you're saying, on the other hand, it's like this is the world's biggest thing for the for the main character of this film. This is like the moment he's been struggling for his whole life. He does the whole thing. And guy like clearly wasn't really paying attention, just kind of went, oh, yeah, that's you. Like, so it's I think it's it. it it works on both those levels, and I think it's really fun that way. In in certain ways, this movie is surprisingly fun to watch, considering how kind of dark it gets. But I I do have an additional off-topic question. Brian, did you finally mm. watch Joker? I did not. Oh, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I think uh, that might be when I watched this film originally, because I heard it was a heavy influence on Joker, and it, yeah. it, it is. <laughs> From what I know of Joker, I can definitely see it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there are moments in Joker that I think you're supposed to be keyed into the fact that there are moments of delusion because they're so heavily taken from this film. Yeah. It's almost a remake. Right. Well, well, and I mean, not not even necessarily in that context. I'm talking about like in a metatextual way. Like that you're supposed to recognize that this is something that is untrue. Joker stole it from this movie. 
Yeah. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the fact that Joker dresses as the main character from this movie is, you know, he's obviously influenced by it. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Does anybody else think his mom is actually dead? I can see that. Like, I had never thought of that, but I can see it when you say it. I thought there was going to be some sort of reveal, but again, I think Scorsese is too good at just leaving stuff ambiguous and letting you figure it out, which is good. Because we never see her. She's yelling at him all the time. She's always interrupting him when he's doing his Jerry stuff. And then in his joke, he said that she's been dead for like eight eight years or something like that. So I don't know if he's telling the truth in that or if he's lying just for the joke and whatever else. But I just found that interesting. Huh. You know, you know what? I didn't pick up on that. But now that you say it out loud, I think I'm on your side. I think she's supposed to be dead. And that was just more delusion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost the idea of if she was the voice of reason. And like maybe she uh, I'm adding a lot to the movie here, but like maybe the reason he's trying to get a start in comedy in his 30s is because his mom encouraged him to go live like a more normal life and get a more traditional job and so now he's doing his thing where he's delusionally involved in the comedy world and it's still her voice that's trying to call him back into the real world and be like kind of interrupt his delusions and he keeps telling her to shut up every time she does does that make sense yeah totally so that's that's a really interesting way to look at the film that i hadn't thought about the idea of and then you then you wonder like how did she die i guess Um, yes oh go ahead I was say, like, you could look at it as her death is what kind of pushed him over the edge. Maybe drove him a little bit nuts and allowed him to fall into this world of delusion where he now is going to pursue this comedy dream, even though he's not really pursuing it in a proper way. And, you know, all that. Or did he get sick of her telling him to be in the real world? And that's how she ended up dead kind of thing. Maybe. See, I was thinking originally, I thought the reason why you never saw her on film that that is kind of a uh, like it's kind of a subtextual thing where they're cutting him off from any normal life. Does it does that make sense? So the the only place we see him whenever he's at home is in his weird sort of non bedroom basement shrine or whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't see the rest of the house. There's no kitchen. There's no couches. There's no normal. There's no normal. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, I I agree. I agree with that. And to combine what you're saying with what I'm saying, like every time she calls to him, he just tells her to shut up. Like she's constantly being like, come upstairs, rejoin the real world. And he's like, no, I'm intentionally hiding in this made up world that I've created for myself. I don't want to be taken out of it. Yeah. Yeah. This is a goddamn good movie, isn't it? It is. It is a good movie. (laughs) The great movie. So much so that the same thing happened happened with me a taxi driver the first time I saw it. As soon as the movie was over, I went on Amazon and ordered the Blu-ray. So I'll have it on Friday. Yeah, I'd love I'd love to watch this with like uh, director's commentary. Supposedly, supposedly it's got a uh, making of documentary with like all the main cast and Scorsese and stuff. So I'm interested to hear their conversation about it. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting because I'd like to hear their takes on some of this stuff because I don't in which once again, Joker does the same thing where it's 
how much how much of this movie is a representation of what's actually happening in the film and how much of it is in Pupkin's head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, I think, and I think there's lots of moments where they sort of let you know that you're not, that you're not in the real world. And then enough of them that you're supposed to be questioning it throughout the rest of the film. And towards the end, I think there are some real questions about what's real and what's not. And I think it's supposed to be that way. Right. Right. Well, there's I mean, there's there's the thing where he keeps every time we see him showing up to the places where he's trying to impress Jerry. He's wearing all these fucking suits. Yeah. And you want to be like, where do you get all the fucking suits at? (laughs) I mean, he spends all of his time obsessing over this. Like what was there? There is a really interesting question of. What what was going on before this movie started? Like, what yeah. was he doing? He had to have a job. Or he has money from somewhere. Well, I think we see him delivering stuff every once in a while. Um, after Jerry tells us to call his office, it looks like he's dropping something off. Like an envelope, like a big like manila envelope of some sort. And he asks if he can use their phone. That's like the first time he calls. And then later he's at a payphone and he's got like four or five of those envelopes. So I don't know. It seems like he might be like a delivery guy who yeah, wears yeah, suits like for some reason. Yeah. Like, but he wears like suits for some reason. Because well, he's delusional. Oh yeah. Anybody who just wears a suit for no reason is delusional. Well, well and there's that. I mean, I mean, once again, if we go real deep into it, there's a chance he's not wearing a suit. <sighs> I mean, that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's just how he views himself because he thinks of himself that way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could go as far as to interpret it as like he's very clean cut. He's got that mustache that would have been popular at the time, even though it's very upsetting to watch now. <laughs> um, all that stuff, like maybe he looks like he thinks a celebrity should look, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's normally I don't like fan theories like that, but this film really invites them with the way it's made and the the wavy line between realism and the fantasy world that our main character lives in. Uh, how do we feel about Sandra Bernhardt and how crazy she goes towards the end? Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Um, it's I, great. I mean, she goes, she's, she's at Nick Cage levels. <laughs> like in most things she's in, in, in this, she might be a notch up from that. Yeah. yeah it, it's nuts, and uh, it's a great performance. Um, but yeah, like when she's alone with Jerry, and all of a sudden, it's sort of, I think, I, I guess it's the first time I realized that her obsession with him becomes sexual, and it's like, that's a little, there's something inherently weird about that, because Jerry Lewis is like, I don't know how old he is at the time of filming, but he's not like a, like a young, like somebody you would see that way. He's not portrayed that way. And then the idea that she sees him that way is very strange. And it's like her obsession with him is just that much grosser at that point. Yeah. Well, I ain't seeing seeing Jerry Lewis play just a complete bastard. Yeah. Is kind of interesting. And I I mean, maybe that's an exaggeration because we only see him in moments of exasperation. Yeah, but he's his performance is amazing, which I, I had no idea the first time I watched this. Like, I did not know Jerry Lewis could act. 
to this day this i've seen him in so i'm like i just like i thought okay they're getting a famous comedian for this role i didn't realize they were getting a famous comedian who's a great actor for this role and uh it it really helps the movie move along because there are times where you're like like it's easy to be sympathetic to him because of how uh like just because of how much Robert De Niro's character is just harassing him and you see him like like the moment where he's like just call my office and bring them a tape and it's like he clearly just wants him to go away and he's finally just feeding into this obsession in order to get on with his life and you're like I get that and I can see how you would come across as a jerk the way he behaves but also you can see how he just wants to go to dinner or whatever and not get harassed every two minutes and not be followed for such a long period of time yeah. Yeah. I mean, Pupkin, Pupkin does that thing where he doesn't know to walk away and he stops him about eight times before he can go inside. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like when he shows up at his fucking guest house or whatever, like, I, I mean, that's where I would call the cops, quite frankly. I think he, he gets away with something there because I would call the cops if somebody showed up at my door like that and let themselves into my house, you know, mixed a drink, scared my staff. Yeah. <laughs> Like that is that is a situation where I'm just like, why the fuck would you not call the police already? You yeah. know he's been coming up to your office and like harassing everybody. Now he's essentially just broken into your home. Like, you, call the fucking police. You know what the weird thing is in that that scene? I think the reason why he's not is because of the girl. Yeah, it's possible. I, I think that he knows that Pupkin drug this poor girl into this thing, and he's trying his best just to be like, fucking leave. You know what I mean? I think at one point he even offers to, like, buy them a ride home, right? Yeah, he offers. He's like, I'll call you a cab. Just the only deal is you have to go outside and wait for it. And they, they still don't leave. And she so obviously wants out of there. Like, it's so awkward because she's just like, oh, my God, like, you don't know this guy. It's amazing. Yeah, the movie's great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I, I would call it an efficient film, too. There isn't like wasted screen time. No. I'll be honest, like, because this was the second time watch for me, I was going into it, remembering all the different things that happened before I've turned it on, I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready to watch a movie this long. And I check the runtime and I'm like, oh, it's like a normal length movie, like an hour 40 or something. And I'm like, oh, that's like, how can all this stuff fit into an hour and 40 minutes that I remember? And it does. And it fits neatly. Like nothing feels rushed. It turns out like Martin Scorsese is a, probably a good filmmaker. I think that's one what? of the options we're coming to here. Yeah. Something I wouldn't have thought about. Honestly, I haven't, I haven't watched a lot of Scorsese films, so. And he's he's kind of. I feel like he's hit or miss with me. I I mean, he's a he's a good filmmaker. He's a good storyteller, but I do feel like he uh, he does what a lot of directors do, and he goes to the same well a lot. If that makes sense. If you watch a lot of his movies, you kind of see the same things over and over and over and over. Well, certainly, like these two movies are right almost remakes of each other. Yeah. yeah. And his like gangster movies and stuff all kind of follow the same structures and have the same, not not the exact same scene, but the same types of scenes, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's fair. I'm just flipping through his IMDb right now to see if like what of his I might not like. 
I'm trying to think if there's anything I've seen that I didn't like, but there are some I just haven't watched as well. Yeah, it's like, like yeah. anyways, going off on a bit of a tangent here, but there's movies like Silence and stuff like that that I just never had any interest in. I'm sure they're well made. But... Uh, any final thoughts? No, I think this is a really good and kind of underseen, under-discussed movie. No. But, um, like, I think this is as good as Taxi Driver. It's different. The style is different, but the... A lot of the, the idea of it being this character study of this guy going through a descent into madness and eventually turning to horrible crimes is very similar. And I think this is just as good, even though it's a completely different type of movie, if that makes sense. Like tonally, it's very different. The, the main character is extremely different. You know, the motivations are all different. I find that very interesting. Yeah, it falls it falls into the weird subcategory of being a sad comedy, yeah. which which are always weird. But I think it works pretty well on this one. Yeah, it's, yeah. That's, that's a really interesting term for it, a sad comedy. Like the idea of you, you can laugh at this movie, but at the same time, you feel really genuinely bad for the main character. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Uh, what did everybody watch? Jack shit! Um, I, I watched the new two episodes of What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, and, I haven't watched it yet. And guess what? It's still fucking great. It's still good. You mean the show that has never had a bad episode in like four seasons? <laughs> Season five is good too. Go figure. <laughs> I I I will say this. It hasn't been like tearjerker funny like the previous seasons have been, but it's still been really fucking funny. I like what their Colin Robinson has a new job, and that's that's pretty fantastic. That's that's non-spoilery. You can tell us what his new job is. Uh, he now works as a waiter in a restaurant. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> and of course, he's like intentionally the worst waiter of all time. Yeah, yeah. so that he can feed on people. It's it's really great. Yeah. It's right when you said it, I'm like, oh, an energy vampire feeding off people like as a waiter is a great idea. Yeah, like, it's just. Yeah. And of course, there's that one whenever they're doing the intro of his new job, there's that one random scene where it's shot from very far away and you see him like behind the people at the table with his mouth open. <laughs> you know, sucking in their misery. That's funny. God, I need to get around to watch it. Send on my DVR. But. Yeah, uh, and then I watched the. I'm caught up on uh, Secret Invasion as well. Yeah, I don't know if we want to do a little spoilery thing for that at the end. Uh, I think we might as well wait till that one's over to be able to discuss it because it yeah, moves there's so only, slowly. There's only one episode left, so which is just fucking crazy. Nothing has fucking happened. Right? Yeah, it does seem like not a lot is going on. 
I'm, I'm going to be 100% honest. When, like, WandaVision and stuff came out, I was like, oh, okay, I, I see what they're doing with these Disney Plus shows. That's a, what a great way to do some, like, world-building kind of stuff. But they haven't been able to pay any of it off. And I think the shows might consistently be getting less and less interesting. I don't disagree. Yeah, this is I mean, this is the fucking Nick Fury show about the super spy. And he hasn't done any spy shit. And I I don't know. They're like, yeah, but now he's old, slow, crappy Nick Fury. And it's like, cool. Cool. Don't care. Don't care about old, slow, crappy Nick Fury. I want Nick Fury. Like, I just feel like there should have been more story going on. Like, I want to know. I want to understand his motivations better. I like like the whole thing where he's was drastically affected by Snap and went off into space as a result of it and stuff. Like I've seen some really interesting fan theories about why that is, but they haven't given us an explanation in the show yet. You know? And that like all that stuff is like that's if you're gonna spend episode upon episode just studying this character, then we need to know all that. We should know something about him by now. And like the reveal that he was like married to a scroll or whatever, and I'm like, I don't. That's not that interesting. And we already did the big like, oh my god, an Avenger can have a family thing with Hawkeye. We don't need it again. Well, and I think the whole like two seconds worth of spoilers if you haven't watched any of the fucking show yet. But the whole show is just set up for the Super Scrolls, and that's it. Like this isn't fucking Secret Invasion. There isn't. What are they invading? Like, I get it. I get that they're in place, that they've taken over some stuff. But there's no way they resolve that in an episode. No. So what the fuck was this show? Yeah. What, what was it setting up? What what purpose was it? Is it a trailer for something else? Like, is it setting up Armor Wars? Or is it setting up the Marvels, maybe? I guess they, they haven't... Make- they haven't revealed who the bad guys in the Marvels are yet. That, that makes sense now that you've said it. It makes yeah. total sense that this is to get Super Scrolls out there for the Marvels to fight. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, uh, and Nick Fury's in the Marvels. He's already been in the trailer. And it looks like he's working aboard whatever space station. Right. But, but so, it's Nick Fury with the regular beard. Looking normal, not yeah. looking like a weird old man, Nick Fury. What the fuck? I just, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm lost. Uh, Marvel needs to get their shit together. Yeah, they do. Their scheduling needs to be better. Oh, and they're stop making so much shit and start making, we're worried about making quality shit and stop trying to introduce a hundred new characters constantly. Like it's you, every movie doesn't need to introduce new characters and stuff. I mean, for a while they were cranking out three really good movies a year. And I think that's plenty. Yep. I will settle for two great movies a year. Yeah. I think they got too big for their own, too big for their own britches or whatever the term is. Yeah. It's just like, you need to, you need to slow down and make sure you're making quality stuff. Cause one of the beautiful things about the first whatever 20 Marvel movies is that you can just go back and sit down and rewatch them and see all the connections and everything. And I think they're getting into this period now where some of it is, some of the problem is that they want to make this stuff for Disney plus to keep people interested in Disney plus, but also then they got to make movies that 
are um, watchable for the people who haven't watched on Disney Plus. And it, it's gotten really complicated. Well, and they just, I don't know, some, somewhere they lost the thread. Because I not too long ago, I went back and rewatched Winter Soldier. And God damn it, it's so fucking good. Yep. And I just, I don't get where they went wrong. I don't, I like, I understand how Guardians affected everything. Because they, they were like, no, we're going to do this other thing. We're going to do this space opera fantasy comedy and it was like, yeah, that works, too. So you can do both those things. And they went, no, we only do that thing now. Yeah, that's part of the problem is that they were again, you go back to like, especially like phase one, like every movie felt very different. So then when they brought those characters together, it was really interesting to see all those characters interact because they were coming from such different places. And now it is starting to feel like every movie is, I don't know, the same. Yeah, leading up to Endgame, everything started started to feel samey, but you kind of went with it because you're like, oh, but they're leading up to like a single story yeah. that sort of spans everything, so you can kind of forgive it. But then after Endgame, they should have splintered off again and started doing other interesting stories. Yeah, and I mean, they kind of did that a little bit with like WandaVision. Like WandaVision's a very distinct and interesting idea. Which I was all, I was all about. A lot of people hated it, but don't give a fuck. I don't. I just feel <sighs> like I, I, I don't know because we also had a bunch of characters on the table that hadn't been fully explored yet, and and they wanted diversity and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but you had like Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, why why not do something with rescue? You know, oh, Paltrow names. This is because she wanted out. That's why. She didn't even know what movies she was in. She didn't care about these. It was a mistake to hire her in the first Iron Man movie. They just didn't realize the mistake they were making at the time. I guess. I don't they should know. have recast her like after Iron Man 1. You could have gotten away with it still back then. Just recast her. And then you could probably have an actress who gives a shit and puts effort yeah. in. And then it wouldn't just be annoying when you see her in the armor. You could actually enjoy it. But yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Now I don't know. Now it feels weird. Now it feels like we've we, they've introduced a bunch of characters that they did nothing with, and now I don't know what they could do with them. Well, even like just the way they're introduced to, sometimes they feel very I don't know. Like I go back to Wakanda Forever and how whatever the new Iron Man girl is there. Um, the fact that I don't remember her name is a problem. Riri. But yeah, like the the way they kind of just forced her into that movie. And it in many ways feels like, you know, they were just like, well, she's a black character, so we'll put her in the black movie. And you're like, I don't like, why not make that a Disney Plus series? The introduction of this girl who's super smart, but doesn't have the resources and has to recreate the Iron Man stuff like that could be a Disney Plus series, right? God, and and one of the things that pissed me off is her diesel, her diesel punk Iron Man suit was so fucking cool. Yeah. And then they were like, no, shiny Gundam. You're like, God damn it. But yeah, like, I don't know, like stuff like that just feels like it feels like they're trying to rush everything and force things in. And it's like, you don't have to. Right. Like I get to a certain extent that they want to put the big names on Disney Plus to get people watching. Right. Like that's why they want a Nick Fury show and, and a Hawkeye show and a WandaVision show. You know what I mean? Like, I understand that motivation, but I also just think get back to making quality stuff, you know, make people want to be in so invested in your universe that they'll watch whatever. Yeah, I will. I will say this. I know 
It's it's not going to I'm not counting the chickens before they hatch. But James Gunn's idea of doing a lot of the TV series stuff as animated features instead is a really good goddamn idea. Because then it's it's almost, you know, it's connected world stuff, but it's in a completely different format. And so I, it doesn't cheapen the movies as much, if that makes sense. I feel like we agree with that. I don't know if normies are down with that. Normies we'll are see. never going to watch those animated films. Because they're like, oh, those are cartoons. I'm not watching cartoons. I literally have a friend who will not watch a cartoon. He said it feels weird as a 40-year-old man to watch cartoons. And I'm like, I watch fucking cartoons all the time. Yeah, who gives who gives a shit? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fucking sure, Creature sure. Commandos, man. Creature Commandos. I'm so stoked. I hope it's good. It's gonna be terrible. You guys know that, right? It's gonna, it's yeah. gonna destroy my it's gonna destroy my poor little heart because I'm so fucking excited for Creature Commandos. The worst thing that's gonna happen is like DC has gotten animated movies right for a long time. Like, that's where their strength was. So they're going to roll that into mixing it up with all the people who've been fucking up their mainstream movies. <laughs> and they're get, we're not going to have any good DC, unless the TV stuff's still good. I don't know. I haven't heard much about it lately. TV stuff's almost over. Like, completely? Literally, uh, Superman and Lois is the only thing left. And that barely got renewed this season. And probably next season, it's probably last season. Because they've, like, shredded, like, pretty much the entire supporting cast of that show. Speaking speaking of DC, I was on something this morning and an article popped up and it said James Gunn's The Flash, why it failed. <laughs> and and I don't even know how to react to that shit anymore and be like, what? Was it James, James Gunn? Gunn's The Flash? Like he had fucking nothing to do with that film. It was completely shot before he was hired. He changed the ending. Yeah, but that doesn't really. I still don't count that as a James Gunn. I'm not saying it's a James Gunn movie. Yet. That, that title, the headline is ridiculous, but he did have yeah. some influence on it. Yeah, the the comments were pretty funny because they were talking about Zack Snyder fans, and they said, "Really, this is the perfect thing for Zack Snyder fans because if the Flash was good and everyone loved it, they could go. This is proof that Zack Snyder is a genius and that James Gunn should be fired." And if the movie was bad, they can go, this is proof that Zack Snyder is a genius and that James Gunn could be fired. Yeah, like, I, mean, I don't know. People who like Zack Snyder movies, though, like, I don't know. Just tell them to go watch Fast and the Furious movies instead. It'll be fine. I, I don't know what to do with these people. Anyway, what'd you watch, Doug? Uh, I watched Guardians 3, finally. <laughs> so do you guys want to have a whole discussion about where the state of the Marvel Universe is now? Because after I watched that. You're welcome, by the way. Yeah, I do appreciate I, it. <laughs> I, I think outside of Spider-Man content, that is the most solid thing that's come out since Endgame. Oh, Doug doesn't like it. No, I, I didn't hate it at all. Um, I will say this. Okay, one of the weird things about watching one of my complaints about James Gunn movies is that he mixes the humor with the drama in a weird way. And like with Guardians 2, the drama didn't work for me at all because there was just too much humor and kind of over-the-top action. Here, I kind of had the opposite problem, where I'm like, I was kind of like into the story of these poor little animals being tortured and (laughs) suffering, and then they're like, and now a little space battle, and I'm like, I don't put your space battle away. I don't, like, other than the fact that you teased him in the last movie, do we need, like, what's his name in this? 
Adam Warlock. Adam Warlock. Yeah, I'm like, it, it feels forced. It feels like they're like, oh shit, we got to do this now. And I would say like Peter Quill's whole arc felt that way. Felt like, well, we can't just you know let the lead character from the previous movies take a back seat. So we've got to give him his own thing. So we'll just write in a scene where he's drunk at the beginning and a scene where he goes and visits his grandpa at the end and that's it. Unless it's part of some like much bigger plan to have him on Earth for some other reason. I don't understand why that happened and why other than, you know. Yeah. Well, the the stinger at the end where it says Star-Lord will return was a really odd moment. I feel like I'm so lost with why it was because it could have said, you know, the Guardians will return or whatever. Well, because I think most of the Guardians, most of the actors are not. They've said they're not coming back. Like Dave Bautista said he's never like he's done playing Drax. He's not doing it ever again. <clears throat> uh, right. But I thought the implication at the end of the movie was setting up that they're like, no, oh, the, maybe yeah. Rocket and Warlock yeah. and those folks are going to be the new Guardians, you know? Sure. Yeah, well, I, heard, I heard Bradley Cooper's out too, so I don't know. Bradley yeah, Cooper. but yeah, but he's a voice actor, so like, yeah, I know they could just find a sound alike, but because I mean, to me, like that's the way you would want this to cancel out is you write out the actors that are coming back, and you set up a new team, right? Yeah, like that's it serves as an ending to this trilogy of films, but it also leaves you the option of going forward. And I don't know, unless, like I say. Putting Star Lord back on Earth and then teasing the Star Lord will return. What, what's he going to do on Earth? Like, is he, you know what I mean? Yeah. Is he just going to become a detective or something and he's going to fight crime on Earth? I don't understand. He's going to get his own 80s TV show where he wanders town to town. Oh, that'd be great. I mean, it'd be fun, but it's not realistic, right? <laughs> so it's, I, I just don't understand it and like i say the biggest problem isn't that i don't understand where they're going with it it's that it felt really forced into the movie like like we can't get this actor back if we don't give him a storyline so give him one or to see at the beginning where he's drunk and to see at the end where his grandpa's in it well i thought for sure there's gonna be two deaths in this movie at least and not a, like nobody dies yeah disney chickened the fuck out on this movie right I'm real. I'm, I'm actually like, I'm still, I love the movie, but I'm still a little peeved that they didn't have the balls to fucking kill some people. It seems like they should have. Right? Yeah. I assume Drax was going to die. Yeah, you, had, you had an opportunity to, to put stakes back into it. Yeah. Cause I figured it would fulfill the thing he says in the, towards the end of the first movie that he wasn't afraid to go into battle because if he dies, he'll, be reunited with his wife and his daughter. So I figured we'd see the fulfillment of that. And that didn't happen. Yeah. Cause his like, <sighs> overly happy ending is it's a little much. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not, it's not terrible, but it's not good or, or anything like that. Yeah. And then I assume uh, Nebula might die. Seems the, reasonable. She would die like saving Gamora or something because it would just be like a full, you know, full circle. Yeah, sort of full circle how they hated each other. And she was trying to murder her throughout the first movie. And then the last movie sacrifices herself so that Gamora could live since Gamora died already. Yeah, see, I didn't think Nebula would die. I thought, well, I kind of thought Rocket would die, to be honest. 
going into it. I thought there was a possibility. But if, if Rocket had died, I really thought that Nebula was going to end up being the new leader of the Guardians. Because that would be the full story arc of yeah. going from villain to hero or whatever. Yeah, she gets to run nowhere now. I, I definitely got nervous that they were going to bring Gamora back into the fold. And I was like, oh, like if that happens, I'm going to be yeah. angry. And then they like they handle it pretty well where she like comes to understand the team. And there's she has that cute little moment with Groot that I, I enjoyed. But yeah. it made me nervous where she like finally understands him. But I'm like, if she kisses Peter goodbye, I'm going to be very upset. She, like, luckily, they don't do that, right? Yeah, they, I was actually very happy with that. Well, I did. I I love the fact that the the message of all that is she is a different fucking person, like which is was the thing that Peter couldn't accept through the whole thing. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, there's a decent message in there about how like it's a nice way to say it. Like your experience is great. Who you are. So she didn't have those experiences. So she didn't become that person. So you have to let her go off and live her life, and hopefully she'll grow into that good person that you knew before which i like but yeah i mean yeah although i I feel like they set up the the og guardians again for their own movie and i'm still like no i kind of want i would watch that (laughs) oh i would watch a movie about the new guardians team i would watch a movie about like the sylvester stallone guardians team i'd watch a movie about star lord on earth like like none of these are bad ideas as long as they're executed well i just you know, uh, I'm just not caught up in this series the way I could be. Part of it is the delay between the last movie and this one. Part of it is, like I say, the uneven filmmaking, the, the mixture of the drama with the comedy. Isn't I really, yeah, I really just want them to try something new and just go for it. Yeah. Like, and they could do that with the Blade movie. Although the Blade movie is very quickly, I'm losing a whole lot of confidence in it because... <laughs> Movies with that many production issues do not turn out well. Yeah. Not, not usually. They turn into the flash. Right. Um, but they could go for, I, I kind of want them to go for something a little more, not not R-rated, but PG-13 hard mode and do like a Ghost Rider or something, you know, something along those lines. It doesn't have to be that character, but. I mean, they set up stuff with Werewolf by Night that, could go in that direction and have a a series of, of Disney plus one offs or actual movies that are, you know, darker. I would I would pay a million dollars for a ticket to go see a movie that's a buddy movie about Howard the Duck and Man Thing hanging out. <laughs> All right. Because that's a thing in the comic books. They're like weird friends in the comic books. Yeah, a million dollars to see it seems a little hyperbolic, but sure. No, a million dollars. I'll give them all my money. (laughs) All my money. If I get a movie that's just about Howard the Duck and Man Thing just hanging out and having adventures together. Sorry, Cheryl, all my money's got to go to this one thing I wanted. What if if (laughs) the phone rings and it's like, this is Kevin Feige. We we need that million dollars. (laughs) We are Disney. Fuck. We monitor everything that gets said on the internet. Like, <laughs> fuck. He called me on it. Now I look like an asshole. It's just some producer listening to this who's like a million dollars short of his budget to get that green lid. It's just, yes. <laughs> yes, core. 
Uh, how do you feel about Gra- Groot's last uh, words in the movie? And do you accept James Gunn's explanation? Uh, what is his explanation? Um, that it's not that Groot is talking any different. It's just that we, the audience, finally understand him. Uh, so we can finally understand Groot's language. I like that a lot more than... Yeah, he's I, been, I like that. He's been, he's been saying at cons oh. for years that there's a, a method about it that because everyone it was always asked how people learn to speak Groot's language. And he's always said that it's not like a language. It's not about learning how he says I am Groot. It's about you form a connection to Groot by being around him. And once you've been around him, you kind of learn to understand him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I mean, we get that with Gamora right in the film. So. Right. Yeah. I, I, I didn't honestly get that from watching the movie. I now hearing that explanation, I like that scene a lot more. So. Yeah. yeah. Fanboys are freaking out. Even I was kind of like, I don't know if I like that. But then once I heard that, I'm like, all right, I'll play your game. James Gunn. I guess it's up to him, but yeah. Yeah. I, li- I like that explanation a lot more than just. Yeah. You know, like the more obvious he just spoke. Yeah. That's that. Oh, also, I like Cosmo, by the way. <laughs> the whole thing where the, the Sean Gunn character tells uh, Cosmo that they're a bad dog and, like, she's just falling around the whole movie. Like, no, no, take it back. Take it back. You know, you know better. Did you guys hear what he said about me? Did you hear? I, I, I really enjoyed that. That's just, I don't know why the animal characters in these movies appeal to me more than the human characters, I guess. Right. Even the humans that are like painted up. I'm still like, no, no, I can still tell you're a person under there. I want you to be a full animal. It was a pretty great setup for the end of the movie in the uh, she's not a dog. She's a good dog line. (laughs) Yeah. I I will say, yeah, like the one thing that the Guardians movies have gotten right is like the background characters are characters. They're not conveniences, you know, so. It is weird. I think back to like first movie where uh for some reason this character is always stuck in my head but when drax is going after gamora like in the locker room or whatever to the prison but whatever the wherever the fuck they're at and that the other inmate like has a knife or whatever and drax grabs it and is gonna like slit her throat and they're having that conversation and then Quill talks him down and talks him into not doing it or whatever. And then you see Drax look at the knife. He's like, and I'm keeping this knife. And he just walks away. And the other inmate's just like, oh, but that was my favorite knife. And for some reason, even that little interaction, I'm just like, I feel like I get that guy's personality. Yeah. And he's, yeah, Gunn's really good at filling the world with characters like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. And, and it adds to the movies. It makes the world feel real. Yeah. Even though it's this completely you know, unrealistic world that they're setting these films in. The other thing I watched this week was pretty much the same. The 1987 movie Demon of Paradise. Which appears to have been made on a budget of about $12.5. Um, you guys ever seen this one? No. It's a... Uh, I had to look and see if it was that Island of Fishmen movie that we did on the show. Like, is Doug no, just watching the same movie and not realizing he watched it already? But no, I, I saw it was different. 
No, that one's alternative title is Screepers. Um, no, but, but I love that movie, and I love The Creature from the Black Lagoon, and I love Humanoids from the Deep, so I saw this one, and I'm like, well, this is just a rip-off of those. I'll, I'll watch it. And it's, man, it's not good. Um, I shouldn't say that. It's not good for the first, like, hour and ten minutes. And there's a few good minutes at the end, which are actually pretty great. But the uh, so the plot is some people are illegally dynamite fishing off the coast of Hawaii, and through a series of bad luck, they set off a particularly big explosion that wakes up a demon. Since they're in paradise, that's the demon of paradise, and all the locals are like, "I think you've awoken this ancient demon." And all the bad white men are like, "Nah, there's no demon." person who runs the hotel is like i rely on these tourists for my money you can't you can't chase them away because you know it's still technically a jaws ripoff and uh most of it's like pretty boring and there's some weird plot where the mafia wants to get involved in the illegal dynamite fishing because they want to sell them the dynamite and i don't really understand that plot line and i didn't care about it but then with like 15 minutes left to go in the movie the military shows up and we, they, uh, they, air quotes, blow up the monster. But people are like, we never found the body. And they're like, that's because we did such a good job blowing it up that it's gone completely. But we'll leave a few soldiers here just in case. And then that last ending is just the monster just picking off soldiers. And then they're all chasing it down. And they finally are just tossing grenades at this really cheesy looking monster. And that stuff's all great. But man, it takes a long time to get there. So I don't know if I could recommend Demon of Paradise to anyone, but like it's free on Tubi. So if you just want to fast forward to the end and watch the military guys fight the Demon of Paradise, that part might be fun. <laughs> don't watch the movie, just watch the end of it. Yeah. And keeping in mind that the special effects are terrible. So the demon is like guy in suit with like one of those, you know, like the, to make him look taller, like there's like almost the fa- a face hole in the chest so they can look out. Like <laughs> it's, it's it's about that level of quality, but it's kind of fun. And that's what I was hoping for. I was just hoping it'd be like the whole movie of that thing killing people. I was would have been perfectly content. But sometimes that's what you're in the mood for, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's not. I wouldn't necessarily recommend the movie. It's also like there's just a model that's just there for some reason doing a photo shoot. And we constantly clip back to her doing photo shoots because it's the only attractive woman they could hire for their film. So she's not even that attractive, but that's what they got. So <laughs> she gets a little subplot where she wants to do cocaine. So she has to be friends with some of the other people on the island to get access to their cocaine. I'm like, well, it is the 80s. What are you going to do? But uh, yeah, that's all I watched this week. Mm. I didn't watch anything. No. Pretty much all my free time has been playing the new Zelda game, so. Well, new Zelda game, good. Uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it. My knowledge of modern video games kind of limits me there. I'm like, that's all I can ask. So. Noah saw me playing a little bit of it on Saturday. Yeah, it looked pretty good. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. All right, next week. Um. <clears throat> Because I want to watch some movies where some gangs take over schools. We're going to be talking about The Principal, starring one Jim Belushi. In, in a movie called 315, The Moment of Truth. Which I just heard about a couple weeks ago, which is why I ended up putting it on the list. 
Uh, both of them are on YouTube. Both of them have been saved in the watch later section of the show YouTube account to make it easy for both of you to find it. Word. Do we still do that thing where we post the movies to uh, the Facebook uh, group before? I haven't done that shit in forever. All right. <laughs> Feel free. So uh, I gotta tell you, I've never seen the principal starring James Belushi, but my hopes are not high for that one. My hopes are high for the movie. I have no idea what it is. That's the one I'm hoping to enjoy. Just hard yeah. to imagine James Belushi. Isn't he like, is, is he turned into like a vigilante badass type principal? Is that the idea? Uh, he's a principal comes, becomes a principal of like an inner city school. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course it's overrun with drugs and gangs. Something happens where he ends up, you know, running from the gangs through the school at some point. And having a fight with their leader. We'll have to see. I haven't seen it since the 90s, so. Sounds like a really crappy night, uh, class of 1984 ripoff. Yeah, pretty much. But with James Belushi. It was such a weird period where they were like, what if James Belushi was an action star? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not sure if he should be. <laughs> you did do that he movie finally... with that German Shepherd. He could probably be in this movie. Yeah. He did that one with Arnold, don't forget. Oh, yeah. Red Heat. Yeah. I think I've ever seen that one. James Belushi is an interesting guy because he tried all these different things, and then eventually he was just like the dad on a sitcom. And you're like, why didn't you just do that right away? That's obviously what you <laughs> Your sitcom level of funny, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're, that's what you should be doing. doesn't even act anymore. He uh, owns a weed farm in California. Is that what he does now? Oh. For him. <laughs> and frankly probably good for the rest of us we didn't need like a a legacy sequel to taking care of business so that we could see what that character was up to nowadays no he's gonna make another sequel to canine somehow that german shepherd is like 40 years old but still alive well that'd be the whole thing that he's like doesn't want a new partner but then there's a really cute german shepherd puppy and so he's like, fine, I'll take on a new partner and eventually develops a bond with the new dog. Yeah. It's like, man, you haven't retired from the police force yet? Jesus Christ. Probably shouldn't have said that shit out loud. They may make that now. Well, they've made sequels to Canine before. They were all direct-to-video. I, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't believe I've ever seen Canine because I was a Turner and Hooch guy myself. So. Oh. My, uh, my grandma took me to the theater and we saw Canine in the theater together so okay. 1989 yep. about right i was nine years old that makes yeah. sense. so there's k9 then there was k911 then uh three years after that was k9 colon pi so the dog became the pi not the human <laughs> i think they're both pis for sure. interesting twist yeah um, and then I wish this was a sequel, but it's not. It's unrelated. There's a movie called K9000. It was released a year after K9. See, if that were a sequel, then it would be a sequel yeah. where the dog was a robot, and then I might be interested. Oh, here you, you nailed it. Uh, a policeman and a female scientist team up to recover her latest to recover her latest creation. A cybernetic crime-fighting dog. All right. Uh, I mean, I guess it was pretty obvious. I don't, I don't get any credit for guessing that plot. 
Uh, I think this and this and Top Dog may go on the list at some point. I don't know if that needs to happen. <laughs> we gotta go back to padding that list with cheesy old horror movies. Uh, Jesus. Yeah, so three K nine movies. Uh, Interesting. When did Turner and Hooch come out? Is that a is that like an Armageddon deep rising type scenario where they're I think it was. And just like Hollywood, just great minds thinking alike. And like, Turner, and Hooch, Turner and Hooch, 1989. Yep. Same year. It's a, <laughs> strange how that happens. <laughs> Canine Adventures, Legend of the Lost Gold. Movie from 2014 starring Luke Perry. That sounds like it almost belongs in like the Air Bud category of like. Bitch and the dogs are explorers. Uh, when Cassie and her friends stumble across an old, broken pocket watch, they begin an unexpected journey to unlock the secret of the legendary Garrison Gold. Both to solve riddles and follow clues to find the lost treasure with the help of her faithful dog, Scoot, and her gang of misfit friends, Cassie's about to go on an adventure of a lifetime. I'm going to call it now. I bet you a dog wears a fedora at some point in time during that <laughs> Not on the poster, and doesn't look like it in the trailer that's playing on IMDb. But oh, you gotta save that shit. You want to shock people with a big deal. Uh, like that. Holy shit! There's a movie called Detective Canine from 1926. What? <laughs> <laughs> See that? I'd watch. That sounds great. Uh, there's no description of it. I don't know what the storyline is. I do. The dog solves crimes. <laughs> But it stars Fearless the Dog. Oh, my God. That's the first example of the Hollywood producers trying to replace actors with something else so they don't have to pay them. Oh, my God. The greatest of all dog actors. A thrilling story of the Rum Runners. Detective Canine. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) I need to see if we can find this somewhere. Says it's a short film, so oh, they couldn't stretch that to feature length. I guess not. That's unfortunate, actually. Now it can't officially go on the list. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.